This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue Podcast, a post-transfer window podcast. Seven players in, plenty out, money spent, money recouped, and a very different squad to the one that entered the window that is heading into the new season. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and I'm joined by Adam Jones and Sam Carroll as we discuss the ins, the outs, and whether the Everton ranks are stronger than they were before. Michael Silver says they're deeper but perhaps wouldn't be drawn on whether he feels they're stronger. Um, plenty to discuss, plenty to get through. Um, but um, very simple question uh, to start off with, lads. Adam, um, a good window, bad window or an indifferent window? Uh, I think it still goes down as a good window for me. I think me and Sam were discussing this yesterday. Like it, It's hard to maybe put a rating on this window without seeing certain players actually play and see how they fit into Everton. But like if it was just to give... I'd give it a solid 7 out of 10 so far. If Everton were managed, had managed to get a centre-back, it could have easily been like a 9 or a 10 out of 10. Because I think Everton looked to have got some really young, energetic, vibrant players in some really important positions in the pitch. And, you know, that's that's all that Marco Silva and Marcel Brands have ever said that they want to do. So, yeah, it was, it was really, like, especially the likes of Gabamon and Keane, I'm really happy to see them on board, you know, after Andre Gomez's loan last season, it was really important to get him on board as well. Uh, Delph adds experience, Lursel adds competition at goalkeeper. And then, of course, we've got Iwobi in as well, and uh, back up right back with Sidibe. So I think it was just just missing that centre-back, which you know does leave a sour taste in the mouth. But no, I think all in all, I'd say good window. Sam? Yeah, I think... I'd probably agree. I just think that maybe towards the, the last couple of days, I think it was just a little bit disappointing to kind of see that it kind of got a bit flustered. It, it kind of seems, you know, there were a lot of reports about, you know, Decore and, and then Rojo on, on the last day. You know, I still don't think anyone is really sure what the hell was going on with, with Wilfred Zaha as well to add that to the mix. And then Awobi came out on that penultimate day and we wrapped it up quite late. Um, so, you know, you do kind of wonder what, what what the strategy was and, you know, whether they've been sold a lie by someone close to Zoomer and whether they kind of thought that was going to come off at some point and, and that. But, you know, it, it is, a, I think, what Adam said when we were talking last night, wasn't it, that the end of the window has just kind of left us in this position of a little bit of pressure, I think, that, you know, we all know how the first game of the season started last year when Jags got sent off against Wolves. And if something similar happens then tomorrow, which which, God forbid, it doesn't, you know, straight away, Silver's under pressure and Brandon's under pressure and the whole team is under pressure. So because of that, was there an indifferent window, you know, maybe, but then these attacking players that we've signed are so exciting, you know, so we, we haven't signed as, as exciting a player permanently since in, in Moise Keane, since we got Lukaku. Uh, I think Alex Awobi, you know, even though he's, he's a Premier League player who I was quite staggered to learn has played almost 150 games in the Premier League. I don't know when that happened or where I've been. Uh, you know, I've, I've not really seen a lot of, and I don't think, apart from maybe when, when we've played Arsenal, I don't think I've ever, ever seen him play 90 minutes. So even though he's a, he's a half-established Premier League player, I think he'll still kind of bring something new and something exciting. And, and he's a young, powerful player, which, which always bodes well. So somewhere in between indifferent and good. Uh, and I think it'll all kind of start... I think that question will probably have answered itself in the next five or six matches, won't it? And if we're sitting here and talking about Lewis Gibson playing and having to come on or, you know, 
But if we're sat here and talking about how great Yeni Mina and Michael Keane are as a pair and all these goals that we're kind of scoring with these exciting new attackers we've signed, then, then it, it will be a, a good window. And I think at the end of the day, maybe all you can say is that by the fact that we didn't end up paying £25 million for, for for Marcus Rocco, which is seemingly the line on what Manchester United wanted, you know, I think it's been good to, to at least see Evan say, OK, maybe we have kind of flumped this one up a little bit, but, you know, we're going to stick to our principles. We will give Mason Holgate a chance. We might have to give even Lewis Gibson a chance, but let's take stock of what we've got for now. And, and you know, we can always go again in January and, and next summer. Do you think if Everton had signed Moise Keane and Gabamin on deadline day, the feeling would be different? I think per- perception of, often is huge in, in this conversation, isn't it? Yeah. How you finish... Think well, if you're Marcel Brands, he would have much preferred to have done no business in the final week. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. That's what's more disappointing, I think, isn't it? That I think that day when... Was it two days where we got Gabamon and then Keane? Uh, three. Th- th- across the, across yeah. the weekend, wasn't across it? Across the weekend. Yeah. So that weekend when we got them, I think you kind of thought, we're in a good position here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, was there still a week? Yeah, well, give or take. Four, yeah, five, five, five days, days yeah, left yeah. of the window. You know, and all we kind of... It looked at that point, you know to get three deals across land was still a big ask like we all knew it was going to be but I think there was that kind of optimism that you know it, it would kind of fall into place and then even when we got to Sidibe I still think you know everyone was kind of thinking you know I don't think the central midfielder or Decore was that much of an issue I think it was more let's just get this centre back over the line so we've, we've went about it in quite a roundabout way haven't we but you know I'm still still really excited to kind of see how it all comes together and I think like what we what me and you were saying before as well, Adam, just a, a, a massive chance now for, for Yeri Mina. I don't think there can be a player in the Premier League now who must be more looking forward to tomorrow's game than he is because he's gone from being potentially a third-choice centre-back to you know, starting tomorrow and, and really now showing why Everton had... Because I think he's the only one from last summer who still had a question mark about him and, and really excited to see how he gets on tomorrow. Mm. Um Sam, Sam's gone into a little bit of detail about Iwobi. Um, what's your feelings <clears> on Iwobi? <throat> because we set out into the summer, Marco set out to summer challenging um, the board and Marcel to find him a left-footed winger who would play on the right. Mm. We've ended up getting uh, a right-footed winger who's probably going to play on the left yeah. more often than not and can play as in behind the striker. Um, do we still think it's it, it, it's been good business despite it clearly the club having to compromise on, on what they really had, had wanted. I still think it's good business because if you're looking at it directly on the face of this window, uh, we've had one winger leave in Adam Ola Luchman and we've had one come in in uh, Iwobi. Now, Everton have paid a little bit more for Iwobi than they've recouped from Luchman, but they've managed to get a player who's much more experienced, not all that much older. You know, he's scored in a Europa League final recently. You know, he's... He's got so much experience playing in Europe and in the Premier League. He's a really exciting player. He's always, always confident in bringing the ball forwards, and I think that's that's something that Everton have really desperately needed. You know, you need you need somebody like who's just going to pick up the ball on the wing and then instantly try to be attacking his attacking his fullback. So I'm really intrigued to see. You know, if he is going to play on the left, I'm really intrigued to see how his uh, partnership with Luca Dean's going to look. And uh, yeah, I I just think he's. He is, he is a very good fit. Uh, it would have been nice if Silver had got his you know, left-footed man to come in from the right because I think that is something that Everton are still missing. Uh, Richarlison's probably going to be playing on the right and you know he's obviously a fantastic player and you know we've seen how well he can play on the right 
uh, towards the end of last season, but y- y- you still get the feeling that he's not the ideal. Uh, he's not the ideal player for that position. I still feel like Richarlison's best position is on the left coming in mm. onto his right foot or maybe even playing through the middle. So, yeah, it'll be intriguing to see how Silva try and tries to set up his front three in the future, especially, you know, with Keane coming in and, you know, he might not play against Palace, but if he is, if he then just integrates himself into the team, you know, where does he play? Does he play centrally? Does Richardson play centrally? It opens up a lot of questions, these definitely. Are good, these are good options, though. And that's what oh, I, yeah. That's what I was going to say, Sam. Before we come on to the, you know, perhaps the lack of, of, of options at centre-half, which we've, we've touched on and we'll speak about a bit more a bit later, Michael's got a lot of options in the forward, if you like, a front three. You know, as, as Adam said, Richarlison can play any three positions. Looks like Moise Keane can play probably at least two of those positions, maybe all three. Iwobi can play probably all, th- well, two and in behind the forward. Calvert-Lewin obviously is the focal point. Um, you know, that, it feels like we've, we've we you know, in a pre-season, you know, in terms of the pre-season games, the narrative and the worry was we're not creating enough. Yeah. Well, we're now going to sign two players who look like they will help with that. It's funny, really, isn't it? Because a lot of this stuff is, is like the stuff we were saying again la- last night. Yeah. Just that I don't have a kebab in front of me, which is <laughs> disappointing. But that, you know, since since I've been supporting Everton, um, you know, this is probably the most exciting kind of forward line we've had, isn't it? And like, you know, you do wonder did did preseason play a part, especially in the Wobie, You know, where we're looking at and we're thinking, you know, it wasn't just not scoring goals. We we just weren't creating clear cut chances, was we? You know, with the goals we scored was Gibson from a corner. A Joe Williams free kick and, Coleman, and the Coleman deflected yeah. shot and headed it in. Yeah, so you know we we didn't we didn't create we didn't score a kind of classic goal for the whole of the summer and you know there are some options I think it is more weighted as Adam said towards that kind of right footers cutting in from the left which you know could could be a concern at times but you know these are all players I think like Walcott and Bernard who, who can play on on either side and and, and we'll do that. Quite well. So, so attacking wise, I think it's just it, it is genuinely exciting, you know. And I do think you know Everton and Keane, uh, Tosin and, and Calvert Lewin have, have got three strikers who can score goals in different ways and, and provide different profiles in that front line. And I don't think you know. Obviously, I think Keane, once the season kind of gets going, will obviously be that first choice down the central role. But you know, you wouldn't be massively disheartened, you know, if we had a big game at Goodison or or away from home. To see Calvert Lewin start and, and maybe even on his day, Tosin, you know, I still I still think that it, he brings something to the team. You know, obviously hasn't quite worked out the way we'd have hoped, especially do you, after. Do you think Tosin's still Tosin's kind of USP? He's kind of unique. His selling point almost is that he can finish. Yeah, mm. I think if we've discovered that in Moisey Keane that he's an equally good finisher or or looks like he's going to have the potential, does that pretty much? Almost, you know, nailing the coffin for Tosin at Everton. We look, we expect that he would still be available for for sale for the remainder of the month. But what he doesn't want to see is what I'm getting at is Moisey Keane in training yeah. in an absolute, you know, dead eye. Yes, yeah. basically. I think I think probably whatever happens towards the end of this month, and then whatever happens in January, you probably are, you know, and, and it sounds harsh because you know he, he he's been a good guy throughout throughout his time Tosin and you know did provide us with some good memories as well like that snowy day at Stoke <laughs> when he scored when he scored that double but you know it probably is the final 12 months of Tosin's Everton career isn't it whether it's this month January or 
or next summer. So, you know, the club have actively kind of pursued strikers and pursued attacking options, which have just pushed them further and further down the pecking order. You know, he's had to watch kind of even Dominic Calvert-Lewin be handed the the number nine shirt, which, you know, when he first signed was probably an, an ambition that he held himself. So, you know, it's a difficult one with Tosin, wasn't it? Because as you said, Phil, that was always kind of his, you know, when he did first join, that was kind of the, the line out of Turkey and, and watching him, you know, the goals he'd scored in the Champions League and, and for Besiktas, you know, we knew he wasn't going to have bags of pace and we knew he wasn't going to be skinning five defenders and, and then lobbing the keeper with a deft touch. You know, he was all about just kind of getting the ball into the back of the net and, and that hasn't kind of happened. But, you know, I think that kind of keen profile was what we've been crying out for since Lukaku, someone who can get it, someone who can bully defenders and just someone who, who scares defenders. I think what we've seen with Lukaku, especially in that final season, was apart from obviously some of the bigger games where people did kind of call him out on not influence the game and much, when you did play weaker teams, especially at Goodison, when we just started steamrolling people, even when Lukaku wasn't scored and he was kind of influencing things because okay. defenders were petrified. They didn't want to step out too far because they knew he could get in behind. They didn't want to get too tight because he could spin them. And I think that's what Keane's going to bring because, you know, you like to see Bournemouth and your Aston Villas and, and that kind of bottom half of the table, which, you know, I do believe the gap in quality from your Everton's and Wolves and Leicester's and your top six is, is growing all the time from from these teams with, with no disrespect kind of intended. But I, I think they're going to be genuinely petrified at Everton's attacking options that we can we can bring, especially at home this season. And I think that could potentially be Silver's saving grace that, you know, when we do get back to Goodison, let's play on the front foot. We might not be the strongest at the back for 12 months, but let's just have a go at teams like what we showed even like when we do play your United's and your Arsenal's. You know, at Goodison Park, when Everton get the fans behind them and play on the front foot, there's, there's not many other places in, in the Premier League where you'd rather not be for opposing teams. OK, then let's talk about Zaha. Um, <laughs> as we understand it, of course, uh, one bid went in, rejected £52 million at the end of July, and that was it. Everton walked away. Yeah, of course, there was... You don't lose an interest in a player. You, you know, Michael Silver again today saying there was interest, but any deal from that point on was dead, dead in the water. Um, of course, Adam, it rumbled and rumbled and rumbled on right all the way through deadline day. Claims, counterclaims, <laughs> it, it didn't go away. Um, first of all, would you have liked to have seen him come? It's it's a difficult one. I think we've discussed this on the podcast before. I think he's a fantastic footballer. I would argue he's if not the best player outside the top six, he's well up there. You know, I think he could walk into a lot of those top six teams, to be honest, and improve them. You know, he's he's almost single-handedly kept Crystal Palace in the Premier League over the last couple of seasons. Yep. So there's no, there's no doubt in his quality at all. But 80 million is a massive outlay. Even... Even with the kind of money that Everton have got these days with Farhad Mashidi and everything like that, eighty million is an absolutely massive amount of money to be spending on one player. That's it's almost double the club's current record transfer fee, isn't it? Millions, almost a fifth of what the stadium's going to cost. <laughs> so that's what you're worth, Phil. <laughs> well, I, get, I get paid to just. Right. <laughs> but I, I just think that's. It is too much money. It's against the model, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that's, I, that's what unnerved me, and I don't know if you two agree, that's what unnerved me about the whole thing. Right, 52 million, club record. You could you could almost make peace with that, even though, again, mm-hmm. it seemed to go outside of the, you know, 
you know what you know if you've looked at the pattern of, of, of fees spent on on young players, Gabamin mean, twenty five, Keane twenty five, it will mm-hmm. be twenty eight. That was a that was a leap, but okay if the club mm-hmm. decided that he was worth it, fair enough. But it was the wages mm-hmm. and what he would ask for and what he'd be on. Yeah. It just never sat right with me. And, and though there was clearly interest, how would you, if you were Richarlison, for example, you know, you, you do, had a great first season, but you're not, you're not being paid anywhere near that. Yeah. You know, what, it would have been, for me, it would have been a hugely unsettling addition. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're a great player, but mm-hmm. you wonder what it would have done. I completely agree. And I think that's probably the way Everton have looked at it in the end. You know, like, you know, that first big goes in and, you know, Palace have quite emphatically rejected it like the 80 million price tag has been pushed around and you, know, you, you just can't you can't just consider that and it's good to see Everton you know consider all those options and just go could probably get could probably get someone for a bit cheaper than that and then they've gone for Alex Iwobi who's you know younger you know probably not as good a player at the minute like don't get me wrong but mm. you know he's got he's got three years on on Zaha you know he, there's no reason to suggest that he can't be an incredible Premier League footballer in the future. So I think it was absolutely the right move for to walk away from this Zaha deal. Like once once the figures became clear, like I think it was just it was a non starter. I heard someone talking about it the, uh, in the weekend I heard someone say, Well it's not my money so I don't care. Let's just go and let's just go and buy him. <laughs> and you know, in that kind of selfish kind of aspect, you know, it would have been great to have that kind of FIFA footy manager style Everton have signed Zaha for 80 mil and to get him out there on the first day of the season because, as Adam says, he is one of the, the best players in the Premier League and, and certainly one of the best players outside the top six. But as you've both just said, you know, I don't think we can ignore the fact that we are building a new stadium and I don't think we can ignore the fact that as much as it would be great right now to go out and grab some, money doesn't grow on trees. And I think, obviously, you know, it, it, as Phil pointed out, it's not just transfer fees anymore. You know, there's a lot of hidden bonuses and agent fees and wages. And, you know, this is a deal that then could have went into the... Could be a hundred million deal, couldn't it? Over a over hundred million in the end when all is kind of said and done. And I think, you know, I, I do think they are two two totally different players and it probably is a bit of an unfair comparison, but we've had our fingers burned by, by Yannick Balassi and, you know, Zaha does still turn 27 this year. And, OK, we've had him for his prime years, but, you know, probably only two, three, four of them being being prime years. So I just think it was it was the right decision. I think if we were sat here today talking about breaking the transfer record for Kurt Zuma, then I probably would have said, fair enough. You know, his performances in the second half of the season dictated that we had to go out and spend that money on him because he changed the team so much and kind of gave us a lot of assurance in defence. If we were sat here today saying, can't wait to see Zaha make his debut for, for 85 million then. I think we'd have still all been made up and there would have been a lot of excitement around it, but there still then would have been the pressure on Zaha to propel us at least into the top six instantly. I think we're a woe be the time to develop him and you know we, we, we could potentially have a, a player on our hands who, who becomes worth double that amount. You know, he's a it's an asset that's gonna grow, isn't it? Whereas Zaha would have all, always been a declining asset regardless of of what he would have gave to us. And I just don't think it's Silver and Brands' model. I think they both came into the club very aware of that summer of spending under Steve Walsh and all those kind of haphazard mistakes that that were made. So hopefully there's a, a line been drawn under. I'd be surprised if we were linked mm-hmm. with him again after we've signed a Wobie, especially... I could see he's being linked with him. <laughs> whether whether well, there's, well, there's concrete I think it. that's the problem with the transfer window, isn't it? You know, like that... You know what, that, I should that, go that... sign him in January. <laughs> <laughs> not, my, not my money. But, you know, that, that interest is there and then the big goes in and then, you know, we've seen over the last 
week, 10 days, whatever, you know, there was apparently no bids have gone in, but the rumours have just escalated and escalated and escalated. And it's got to the point where, you know, Everton fans are sat there thinking, wow, this could be, this could be Everton's marquee sign. And I think that's what, where the excitement grows from, you know, yeah. only for the two years now that Brand has been doing this, there hasn't really been that, you know, marquee sign. And it was like, right, this is, this is Everton now. This is where Everton are going. And to be honest, Zaha would have, would have been that, but that, that sort of idea of a marquee signing goes against what Brands and Silver are trying to build in the first place. But once the, once the cat's out the bag in, in, the modern age, you know, that that's it. Like that, that is always just going to escalate and escalate and escalate. And you know, Everton like ended up in a really, a really bad situation where the fans were really on board with this potential sign, and that was just never going to take place. And you know, I do I do feel for you know the likes of Silver and Brands in the end because you know they quite clearly decided early on that you know that wasn't going to be the case. You know, the interest stayed there and. You know, questions would have still been asked about whether the price was going to drop, but Palace were, Palace st- st- stood firm, as is their right, and you know Everton moved on to a different target. But <laughs> the way the transfer window is, you know, there's going to be disappointment in some quarters that Zaha didn't join oh, now, yeah. which is, you know, I, I feel like it's a shame for. I feel like it's it's definitely a shame for Brands and Silver, but also for Awobi as well, who's going to be starting on the back foot with. You know, a few supporters maybe, and I just don't think that should be the case at all. I think the best thing to come out of the Zaha thing is hopefully he doesn't play tomorrow. Hopefully well, his, his head has been turned enough to whether know, he's fit enough anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and Hodgson obviously sent him home from training as well, and, and even he admitted that his his head wasn't in the in the right place. So, you know, if all these fake bids mean that it's a it's a <laughs> it's a lesser <laughs> Palace team tomorrow, then I'm all for it. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. Do we think, look, we would only know the answer by asking him, but of course, Wilfred Zaha is not sat around this table. Um, so we can only question and, and give our opinion. Do you think he, deep down in his heart of hearts, wanted to come to Everton? Or it was a case of, they're my option and they're the only option as it stands for me? Um, because it seemed all set that he, he wanted to go to Arsenal. I think he gave a national newspaper interview saying as much. Yeah, he's, a, he's always seemed like a, a London boy, hasn't he? But, you know, after Arsenal signed Pepe, it was very clear that they won't, weren't going to be in for him. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that once once a club like Everton come in for you, then there's got to be an interest for you to go there, especially Zaha. And I mean, and no disrespect to Crystal Palace, Everton are a couple of... A couple of yeah. rungs rungs ahead in in the Premier League ladder at the minute. So you know the chance to move over to a team who only looks like they're going on the up. You know, hope have ambitions of battling for that top six next season. You know, and you know Zaha probably would have been looking at it and thinking, oh well, I would be, I would be the big man. I will, I would be that marquee signing. So yeah, I would like to think that there was an interest. In in him coming to Everton, you know, if you if you'd have asked him at the start of the window, you know, see, I probably think he would have said, "Oh no, I want to go to Arsenal Champions rather than Everton." And... Yeah, but yeah, I, I definitely think that there's surely there surely would have been some interest from Zaha. I think it's the it's the perfect storm, isn't it? Of of what Adam said in terms of you know we are ahead of Zaha. You know, I think for Zaha to see himself as you know being that marquee signing probably would have been the, a main man in a team. 
battling for the top six and as much as you you probably don't want to believe it with, with modern footballers, we probably would have been offering them a whole lot of money and probably maybe even, you know, I know he's just signed a, a big new contract with Crystal Palace, but it's, it certainly would have been well above what he was earning there. So, you know, I've got no doubt in my mind that he, he would have been excited by a move to Everton and probably was watching along like the rest of us and, you know, kind of wondering if a bid was going to come in and whether he was going to get that move. So, you know, it, it kind of will be interesting to see how, how his Crystal Palace future turns out because quite often once players have had the heads turned once, it's quite hard to ever go back to how it wasn't in kind of the first place. He's it's a it, it's interesting now because this is the second time it's happened because obviously you had you had that big yeah. move to United, didn't he? And it, you know, didn't gonna, didn't work out for him for one reason or another. Refound himself at Crystal Palace. He looks, like, he looks a better player than he was at that point for certain. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's a strange one, isn't he? I think he's one of those weird players who's kind of caught between not quite good enough for you at the moment, or maybe consistent enough for your your big big teams, but then seemingly kind of. Uh, a big fish in a small pond at Crystal Palace. You know, where, where does he end up? Is it like a, a Spurs? Does he get another chance at United with their kind of rebuild going on? But I think with the finances involved, a lot of teams would be kind of balking at it, wouldn't they? For mm. a player who still is kind of heading on to 30, still hasn't, you know, had a season where he's scored 20 goals or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah, usually, with, like, without the finances involved, usually, especially with the window overseas going on until... Yeah, at the end of this month, like you'd be, I'd be thinking, especially with the injury to Leroy Sane, I'd be thinking, oh, Bayern Munich seems like mm. a, 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 a destination for him to go to. But yeah. would the German club pay that pay that much for him? Would they pay that much much in wages? Like it's, yeah, I've, I'm I'm not sure the Zaha saga is over for August yet. Mm. But yeah, it'll be intriguing to see how how he tries to reintegrate himself back in at Crystal Palace because it's really interesting to see Roy Hodgson's interview yesterday you know saying he's got beef with the chairman and the owners I'd I'd love to know what that means (laughs) (laughs) so yeah like he's obviously got some sort of obstacles to overcome when he tries to get himself back back to a full fitness at Crystal Palace so it'll be interesting to see how uh, how the next few months goes for him all right, then let's let's look at um, another player that didn't come, but not for the want of trying. Kurt Zuma, um, number one target uh, defensively for Everton. Unfortunately, the Blues could not prize him away from Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea under a transfer embargo and therefore not willing to do any business. Um, it's left Sam, senior centre-halves, Yerry Mina, Michael Keane and Mason Holgate, even though he's still fairly... You know, fairly junior in that in that regard, um, and obviously Lewis Gibson is, is fourth choice. Um, we're light, aren't we? It's a bit of an understatement, isn't it? <laughs> what's what's less than light? Featherweight with featherweight at the back. <laughs> Minimum weight. Can I say that? Minimum weight. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's almost kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? And I think you know, I was saying to Adam last night. You know, the the biggest example to Everton really should have been. Right uh, across the park last season, you know, Liverpool kind of went into the into the season, you know, almost where I think they still had four centre backs, but injuries had them playing Fabinho in in Champions League quarterfinals and stuff like that. So you're thinking, you know, no two centre backs are going to go a Premier League season and play ninety minutes or thirty eight games. No two centre backs are going to play every cup game. You know, it is bordering on literally impossible. Um, so it's it's going to be difficult and it's it's going to be. Interested now, 
to see, you know, how much faith kind of Silver does have in Mason Holgate because as good as Mason is on the ball and what we know he can do as a centre-back, I think there was also times last time he got a kind of run at centre-back under Silver where his kind of physical aspects were, were kind of called into question a little bit when we played teams who were more willing to kind of play long and, and, and try and use him as kind of someone they could spin off and, and out-muscle. So... You know, and, and and kind of God forbid that you know we'd ever be in a position where, with through injuries and suspensions, you'd have to tell a young lad like Lewis Gibson he was starting at Old Trafford or Anfield and and places like that because you know they're not really the places you want to blood in young players. So there's there's a huge amount of pressure on the shoulders of both Michael Keane and Yeddy Mina. I think for different kind of reasons in terms of the not ki- just on their shoulders, on the on their legs, staying fit. Don't mm. you know? Well, exactly, and and obviously the, the, it's not like the two centre backs who've had no injury problems over the past few yeah. years and I know Keane has never really been a, 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 mus, a muscle injury kind of man but he, you know, he is the kind of defender that puts himself in harm's way yeah. puts himself in harm's way he's willing to put his body on the line you know he had that terrible foot injury you know where I think you know he, he, it was kind of well documented what he went through with that uh, Yeni Mina has also kind of suffered a few injuries and I still you know you think back to that Millwall game where he almost just thought not fancying this <laughs> not fancying this at all so you know I wonder if he's having nightmares about John Akindi still <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, was, it was terrible times wasn't it so but you know I think Keane has now got to step up to that you know I think he's went through the kind of thing of he's proved himself that he can be an Everton centre-back and a very good Everton centre-back at that now he's got to prove himself to be a leader. Well, he said he said in the summer he felt like a main man. Yeah, one of the main men. He is the main man. But yeah, that's what. I was, and I was kind of yeah referring to what he was saying there in terms of you know if if he wants to kind of go out there and say that then now is the, the perfect time to prove it. And then Mina's kind of got to, got to prove that he can stay consistently fit and play consistently well as well because I think you know you look back to maybe the the two Chelsea games as you were saying last night, Adam, and even the Liverpool away game. You yeah. know some of the, the toughest games you can play in the Premier League. And I looked at him and I was thinking, he is a £30 million defender. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the worry is then I watched him play against Lincoln. And I think if you would have said who were the Premier League centre-half playing in that game, you probably would have chose the, the lad playing centre-back for Lincoln because Mina was looking at John Akindi like he was playing against Robin Van Persie. That's pop or something <laughs> like that, wasn't he? he? He did genuinely struggle in that game. So big, I wouldn't say question marks, but the, the, there's kind of questions to be answered for, for all three of them including Holgate isn't there and I, th- I also think then you know it might also be nice for, for Lewis Gibson to kind of get his chance in, in League Cup games and maybe the FA Cup game depending on how stretched we are and then I think also the, the alternative option although he wasn't signed as a centre-back we might have to see JP Gabamon all, or also play there because that might just be what it comes to Interesting you mentioned the Cups and Adam you might be able to answer this you know, you're absolutely right about rotation and the fact that, you know, we can't expect Keane and Mina to play 38 league game plus hopefully extended runs in the Cup. But Within the FA and League Cup as well. Yeah. well but but joke, like, jokes aside, you know, I think Michael mentioned it at his press conference this morning at Finch Farm. Farhad Mashiri has admitted he's changed, changed his opinion on the importance of the Cups. You know, he didn't think they were important, but he says they are now. If we want to win the League Cup or the FA Cup, you know, with all the respect to, to young Lewis Gibson, who's got a vast amount of potential, we really like him. He's, he's, he's still learning his training young. Mason Holgate, you know, hasn't had full seasons at centre half. I'm, I'm again, I'm basically getting out of the point is you have to keep Mina and Keane fit mm-hmm. for longer than probably 
is realistic almost. Oh, well, 100%. And I think we saw the we saw the problems with too much rotation uh, last season, especially with the League Cup exit to Southampton. You know, we rotated too much and there we go. We're, we're out of one of the domestic cup competitions. I think, you know, if Mashiri has now changed his tack on the, on the cup competition, Silva can't really afford to do that now. And, you know, even... Even if we're going to be playing like a Lincoln at home again, like we might have to play the likes of Keane and Mina, which is just it 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 fills me with dread almost to be honest. Because especially after watching how we started last season, you know, Jagielka got sent off in that first game, and then third game, Michael Keane gets injured, and suddenly, like if that if that was to happen again this season, let's say Keane gets injured again and Mina gets himself sent off. Suddenly, the centre back partnership could be Mason Holgate and Lewis Gibson going into you know a set of so Premier Silver. League games. Are we, is this Ashley Williams? What, what are you doing for six months, mate? <laughs> I, I know he's I know he's been bought for playing a different position. Are we discounting Sidibe? Well, he's played at centre back before. He, through his youth career, uh, he he was a centre back, and it was only quite late on that he got moved to being a right back. You know, yeah, he's a, he's you know, a, he's a big, yeah, he's a big physical presence. You know, like. We'll have to see how he settles into the squad, but you know he could be an option. And obviously, as three, Sam three said, you know, Gabamon's an option as well. Dominic will be playing three at the back <laughs> this season. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as, as promising as Mason Holgate and Lewis Gibson are, like I really love them as two footballers, and I think they will progress to be, you know, some some really good both yes. Premier League centre backs. Uh, yeah. Especially in Gibson's case, I don't think he's ready to be stepping up to the physical level of the Premier League. I think he's absolutely ready to be involved in the first team in some capacity. Mm. And you know, like in the best case scenario, I would like to see him, you know, come off the bench in some cup games or Definitely. something like that. You know, get that experience up because I think he's he's warranted it. He's deserved it. You know, his form towards the end of the Under Twenty Threes campaign last season was brilliant, mm. and he was a major part of them going on to confirm that double in those last couple of matches. But you know, to be relying on someone like him and Holgate, who you know, for all into, like for all the, the best intentions, he played right back for the What's second that? the second half of last season. You know, yeah. he he wasn't even playing centre back when he was on loan. So we'd be asking him to come in and play in a much different position. As Sam said, you know, as good as he was last season in some games, you know, he had some games against West Ham where I think. You know, West Ham completely targets him, and Altovich especially targets him, and just bullied him for want of a better phrase. You know, he was just physically better than him, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of strikers in the Premier League who'll be able to do exactly the same as Altovich did. So it, it does it does worry me in some capacity, but I think what's interesting about. <laughs> Mina especially is what another thing that Silver said in his press conference. You know, Mina didn't have a preseason behind him last season. Yep. This time he has. He's not missed a training session all through throughout preseason. I think uh, throughout the preseason games I watched, he got better and better. Yep. You know, he was a bit, he was a bit shaky against Wigan, but by the time he got to that Werder Bremen game, I thought him and Michael Keane looked. I think they were two of the best players on the pitch. They looked really solid and. They looked like they were communicating well together as a partnership, which you know that does fill me with confidence. And I think it's not who's the who's the, the, the pacey one, for want of a better phrase, because Zuma neither of them. Yeah. Well, this is a, but that is another thing, and, and you're right. And I think Keane and Mina 
have the real potential to be a partnership, but you can't deny that Zuma probably got us out of a lot of holes last season mm-hmm. because he's quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that was that's the main thing that we've missed out on, and I think that's what that's what Silver would have been, Silver and Brands would have been looking at across the summer. If we weren't going to get Zuma, then we needed a pacey centre back. That should have been that should have been the priority, and I still think that probably will be the priority when Everton inevitably go back in for a centre back in. Maybe January or next summer, or you're asking really for the positioning to be spot on, aren't you? Because yeah. they're not going to be able to have that kind of you know, zoomer. You know, no one can deny he did make mistakes yeah. last season, mm. but he was more easily able to get himself out of them because he, you know, was so so quick and powerful. Whereas Mina and Keane probably aren't going to have that little kind of room for for error that the zoomer might have had. So, so that will obviously be the interesting thing. And I think another thing will will also be just to go back a, a little bit is. You know, the, there was rumours this summer about Holgate and, and where he ends up, but I think probably the biggest show of where he is in Silver's thinking will be the first time one of Keane and Mina are unavailable because mm-hmm. will he turn to Holgate and say, "Go on, this is your chance," or would he would he then say, "Right, well, let's move Sidibe into into centre back or let's put Gabamon centre back?" So you know, I think mm-hmm. think what I said to you last night is just for, I think every player in the squad at the moment, bar maybe Dean because of how good he was. There's a kind of like interesting kind of subplot for the season and, and, and different questions that are going to be answered over the next 40 odd games in in all competitions. And to be honest, I can't really remember an Everton season like it where, you know, there is a lot of hope and positivity around, but also, you know, that kind of thing where there's so many questions to be answered and so many kind of unwritten stories that are kind of going to play themselves out over the course of a season. And I think most of them kind of will happen in that defence. You know, will Coleman keep his place and can Dean be as good? as he was last season, which I think he will. You know, the centre-half questions, can we see a more consistent Jordan Pickford? And I think if we get all the right answers from from those players at the back, then there's no reason why we, why we can't kick on because, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal and United, I think they're all wounded animals at the moment, mm. aren't they? They've all got different little problems of their own. And I, I don't think when I look at Everton's squad compared to United's, especially, you know, Arsenal as well, Chelsea with a new manager and a transfer ban, I, I just don't see why we can't be looking at them to say, let's go and have a go. Let, let be, one of them's going to fall off this season and we need to make sure we're the team who, who kick them when they're down. Mm. Um, like every good uh, Sam Allardyce team, we've bypassed the midfield. So let's quickly talk <laughs> about... Um, who needs one? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Big Sam doesn't. Um, <laughs> the midfield's... I think it, it, it's changed. It, you know, it, it's lost, but it's added... And it looks like it will take on a different look, probably in formation. What do we feel? We've lost Idrissa, of course. Mm. Gain Delph, game Gabamin. Are we are we comfortable? I'm quite comfortable. I think uh, the players that we've now got, I feel like they fit the moulds that Marco Silva prefers to play a little bit better. I think Gabamin. I think I've discussed this on the pod again before, but I think Gabamin is like the sort of perfect amalgamation of Guy's best qualities and Schneiderlin's best qualities. Mm. You know, he's he's not afraid of, you know, getting in, getting into tackles, you know, being that physical presence in front of the back four. But he's also not afraid of, you know, taking the ball off the centre-backs, uh, driving forward with it, picking out a really good pass. You know, he's got a hell of a shot on him as well, as it looks like in those training videos. So I think he's he's going to add a different dynamic into that midfield. Mm. And I think because of that, that maybe allows... You know, Gomez or Delph or Davis or whoever's going to be that other midfielder next to him. I think that allows them 
to then push that little bit further forward and create a bit more of a 4-3-3 sort of dynamic yeah. uh, alongside Sigurdsson. And I think that's only going to help out Sigurdsson a little bit more as well. Takes some of that, you know, pressure off him to be that one attack and focal point, you know, to be the man who's linking up all the play up further up the field, you know, especially if Andre Gomez is going to be the man to push further forwards. You know, we've seen, you know, the kind of passing range that he's got, you know, the the awareness that he's got of all, where all his teammates are on the pitch. You know, he could be an amazing asset to Everton if he's utilised a bit further forwards. And I think, you know, once Gabamon does, you know, find his full fitness and he fully integrates himself into the team, hopefully that occurs quite quickly because, you know, we've been dealt this quite nice opening run of fixtures, you know, it you know, it does allow us to maybe use a bit more of an attack and formation, especially mm-hmm. throughout our home game. So if we can start using Gomez in that, you know, more advanced role in in these early stages, then I think it's only going to benefit us and I think it could it could be really exciting. Okay, then before we um finish and before obviously get the lads' predictions for the uh, opening game of the season at Palace tomorrow, um just quickly give me your favourite signing this summer. I think I know the answer, but... Um, it's everybody's favourite signing, but... Can I not choose Martina coming back from his loan? <laughs> <laughs> um, New signing. It's got to be big big bad Moise, hasn't it? I'm excited to see him hit the wall tomorrow at Palace. <laughs> so I'll go with Moise Keane. Yeah, I think, I've, I think I've got to agree. Like, Especially with what Sam said before, I think he's one of the most exciting signings that Everton have made in the last few years. And, you know, if you can... If he can kick on the way Italians think that he will, then mm. Everton have got some player on their hands. But I think the the signer of Andre Gomez has maybe flown under the radar a little bit. You know, yeah. like he, he was fantastic last season, and odds are he's only going to be better this season with a pro- proper preseason behind him. So uh, I'm intrigued to see how he adapts again. But yeah, Keane definitely for me. Yes, I think uh, pretty much everybody listening would agree with the, that pick there. Um, that, go on then, lads. Customary uh, new season. Prediction, Sam, for Crystal Palace versus Everton tomorrow. Do you know what? This is going to come back to haunt me at 5pm tomorrow. I'm so confident. Three <laughs> <laughs> eleven. Uh, as as long as Zaha doesn't play, which I don't think he will, having only just returned to training from the Africa Cup of Nations, uh, I think 2-0. Everton have got enough to beat Palace. Yeah, I agree. I think 2-1. And I think we will uh, start the new season. Silver's second uh, with a win. Uh, Excellent, chaps. Thanks for your company. And thank you for listening. Um, Remember, you can rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes and the Acast app. So please do so. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.